guys and welcome to another episode of Grow North, where our purpose is to dig deeper than the typically heard stories to really understand the mindset and approaches of the business leaders that we have on. Today, we have Basil Alcusa, co-founder and CEO of QuickUp. QuickUp is a technology-based logistics company that provides on-demand delivery service through a network of drivers. Founded in 2014 with five founders, the company now has over 120 employees and over 2,000 drivers in its network. In 2017, they raised £20 million investment to propel their growth, and we're hearing in this episode just how that fundamentally changed Basil's approach. To start the conversation though, I really wanted to find out the backstory of Basil's fear of flying. Initially, I didn't have a fear of flying, and then at I was living in Saudi Arabia, this was uh, 2009, uh, and I was vis- visiting a girlfriend in, in, in Kuwait City at the moment, so I flew from Riyadh to Kuwait and then back from Kuwait to Riyadh. And on the way back, um, there was a sandstorm. Okay. And so, you know, the, the, the pilot was trying to land the plane. It was the kind of turbulence that we experienced was insane. The, the 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 plane like it didn't feel like the plane was flying anymore it was like completely uh in the control of like the wind and, really? and the dust and uh and so the the pilot tried to land the plane a few times and was unsuccessful so it was doing these like go rounds and every single time we see kind of the um the plane was very unstable we'd see the ground get closer and then basically lift off, again, off again with full force oh, and <laughs> people were like panicking in the plane some people were like praying out loud and like in and that kind of adds to the intensity of the situation you couldn't see any any flight attendants either and so where you, were they <laughs> i mean they, i don't know they were like <laughs> hidden on in in the galleys so like uh, that it was just a very horrifying experience and i just couldn't get over it like i literally couldn't get over it every time i got into a plane after that I any any turbulence we'd experience, I'd panic. Like I was like stressed the whole time. So, so it was like after a couple of years of having been running quick up that I decided, you know, you know what? Like I kind of need something that is outside of uh, outside of this adventure that can kind of keep my get my mind busy uh, and challenged in another way as and in outside of business as outside of business okay. yeah yeah and and i and i i decided that um, you know uh, flying is something that i need to deal with and so let's take control of this fear and i learned how to fly and it's an incredible experience it's an incredible education uh, one because there's so much that you learn about human biology, physics, the meteorology, and just law, uh, air regulation, and, and yeah. like, and and the mechanics of the actual plane and navigation, like amazing, amazing kind of like knowledge that, in a lot of way, plays a part into how you think about things. I I always think that like you know your 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 mental capacity is formed by like a lot of different things, and it's not just being good at business. And so I began. I began to fly and flying on my own for the first time was an exhilarating experience that like just kind of puts things in perspective when you're looking at the world uh, and you're seeing it in 2D and you're kind of like removed and and when you're up there flying a plane having to deal with all the uh, all the things that come into play like managing the instruments and managing the plane and keeping your track and and keeping watch outside on what's going on you're there's no thought in your mind except for 
what you're doing at that moment complete focus complete focus and and that is yeah there are rare moments in life when you are so fully immersed into that one thing and you're not thinking about anything else and i find that a very kind of like valuable experience for me to to have yeah so yeah absolutely on a much lesser level that's one of the reasons i really like podcasting because right now you're very much engaged in the conversation yeah i mean i guess we want to do this right and we want to impress the audience and we, and so we need to really be here but also <laughs> also also it's like good having these conversations with like a complete stranger that now you're gonna you know we're gonna share quite a lot together yeah, so, yeah I agree. No, I agree. <laughs> but um I, I was fascinated by that story because i think it tells a lot about your your approach to facing challenges facing fears uh, would you say that is kind of symbolic of how you approach everything in business that you do it's my approach in how i do things in life in general and so i try as much as possible to bring the highest level of authenticity in myself to the business and therefore um, my life approach uh, comes through now you I mean, you don't always have that kind of like clarity and steadiness and always being able to deal with things in, in the way that you've developed yourself towards. You just hope that you, you kind of always kind of battle yourself to be the best that you can be and, and do things in, the, in, in a way that you're, you feel proud of. Um, I, I cannot say that like I'm always on, yeah. you know, always on, always succeeding at that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if we go then right back to the start of QuickUp, um, I'm interested to know kind of what your self-talk was then in, in terms of the approach. You know, you decided to leave what you were doing and you decided to start a company. You could, you could draw a lot of comparisons in terms of the unknown nature of what that's going to bring, the potential fearful nature of what that's going to bring. So what, what was your kind of self-talk or justification as to why you decided to start QuickUp? I mean, there, there's, there's several layers to this. I mean, um, I had tried being employed in a couple of situations. One was even with my family business uh, and, and a few other roles that I've taken in, in my life. And, and it, it was always difficult for me to... I'm a very curious person and, and I tend to obsess about things. And so, like, you know, I... I cannot go into something and just do and just be constrained to one part of the entire the whole picture. Okay, yeah. And so that always caused issues between me and the people that I worked with, mm. uh, my my bosses. Um, I, there has one thing characterizes my entire career pre quick up and I'm, I'm not too sure that's a good thing but there's always like conflict <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. So so I always kind of wanted to do more and be more involved and understand how the the managers are thinking and their managers are thinking and i wanted to like kind of be in those conversations as well and uh, and so there was a big drive for me to 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 to, uh, to kind of want to break free and like have that freedom of being able to be in be involved in so many different things uh, so many different aspects of one thing that i'm doing um, and, and, in, and another part of it is just kind of wanting to be a master of my own destiny. you know, I want to know that like when I come in every morning, everything that I do will, will either contribute to, to, towards a positive or a negative. And where, when I suck, my outcome sucks yeah. and that's very visible. 
And and I wanted to have like a very strong influence on on like uh, the philosophy of business and, and a culture created in the company and everything that goes around that. And, you know, you, you, you look around here, you're at our office now, you've seen the dogs, you've seen the Nerf gun. And I, and these are, these are all symbolic. It's, yeah. it, it, trying not to be cliche here, here, but they're symbolic of kind of this level of, of freedom of creating our own space, you know, and, and I really value that as well. Now, the, I also kind of like grew up in a household where, you know, I, I've I've witnessed my father and his brothers build a uh, a, a very interesting business in, in 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 Lebanon that then expanded to Saudi and retracted. But you know, growing up in in that environment and and you know, we we didn't start off with like a large empire. We started off with uh, literally one small restaurant that then grew into this this uh, industrial business yeah. and, and seeing that happen is super inspiring and in at least in in some way it's left some sort of imprint in my mind uh, to kind of want to have that drive to create and in and, and in a lot of ways uh, the concept of like the the creative pursuit that leads towards building and creation is something that is a big part of who I am in in a lot of ways since I was a kid till today and I guess the the last thing is the the um, the idea itself and and you know what we we I came I came uh, I came around with my co-founders who were my my co colleagues at the time uh, yeah. at a VC fund I was working at before starting well, QuickUp. All, all four of them were. Uh, uh, so three of them were, and one was a childhood friend. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we came together and we were basically throwing around these ideas and uh, and when we came across the idea of QuickUp, I felt very passionate about it because. You know, I grew up in Beirut and I understood what it meant to have these kinds of services. You know, in, in, in Beirut, you, you, you get on the phone with any shop, you get stuff delivered. You know, it's not, it's not novelty there, yeah, right? It's yeah, just yeah. a way of doing business. Um, so, and, I, and, and then I came here to London and realized that this level of convenience doesn't exist. And so there is something here. You know, I want to build a service that I will use myself first. And so truly, like we actually built uh, the prototype of the app and we were like the I was one I was a main user and like so was my, so were my co-founders and we were and we kind of distributed well, so you were that out and about doing the distribution we were doing the deliveries and we were making a lot of the orders as well and 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 our friendship group uh, too and then kind of like branched out from there uh, mm. so I don't know if you if you if you want to come kind, of, kind of like channel through of how we got to where we are today. I'm happy to explain that. Otherwise, we're we can. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to ask there yeah. how much you think that having a global perspective has has led to the decision to start it. Has seen that opportunity. If I look at uh, as I speak to people and as I research people, there there seems to be a correlation which I've noticed, which is of of travel and spotting opportunities. There's a creativity that you, because you can always take a step out or have, have an experience in different countries. You can kind of connect those dots and see an opportunity that someone potentially might not have seen if they just stay in their one scenario. So how much do you think that played a factor? A hundred percent. I mean, I think that plays a very big role. I think that uh, that uh, that's true for my father and a part of what he contributed to the family business at some point as well. And it is uh, true for, 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 for myself. And um, I, I do agree. I mean, like there's a lot of kind of... Uh, 
appropriation of ideas from like one culture to another to yeah. another that can play a role in the entrepreneurial kind of thinking um i i definitely back that but i would say that you know in, in when 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 you first said like the global thinking i i meant you thought bigger picture and 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 i think that like we didn't have that like huge big picture when we first uh, launched yeah, quickup and yeah. and where the business is today is completely different from where we had started i think that and this is my belief is that ideas come at very micro level spotting a very specific opportunity mm. and then kind of holding on to that string and start pulling at it and begin to uncover a much larger much bigger picture then you begin to unfold and uh, unfold the bigger picture and the opportunities that come with it yeah yeah, yeah. what do you think allows you to keep um, going in that one direction to uncover those opportunities versus what a lot of people may do particularly when they're looking to start their own business is kind of go in that direction a little bit and then it just fa fails away you know when something gets a bit more challenging then it, it drops off as a concept as a business um, versus what, what you've done which is kind of seen that through and uncovered these challenges man you need to listen to, to the market you need to listen to the customers first what people actually need you need to you need to uh, connect the dots with trying to understand what's happening in the market and listening to the market as well yeah you know there is an argument that all, what you need to do is like be as close to your customers as possible and they will build your roadmap by understanding their concerns and the things that uh, they need and you know your business may end up somewhere completely different there's another kind of like uh, thinking where it's you're creating a market in some instances. And even when you're creating a market, that has to stem from some sort of a, uh, a uh, like a, a problem or something that's broken in the system yeah. whereby you're not addressing c consumer needs. So I really do think that the answer is always in the market and with, with, with your, with your uh, customers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been a, that's been a, a common theme throughout all of our, these grown off episodes that we've done, 100%. Yeah, uh, it's because because even it's it's much easier said than done as well. Yeah, know? knowing yeah. how to listen and knowing what to look for, that's you know it's easy to say that you need you listen to, to you need to listen to your customers, okay. and it's easy to listen to your customers, but but it's difficult to find what they mean to and get to and, the and essence of it. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And solve their problems. Yeah. So, obvious question: How do you do that then? Uh, <laughs> man i i don't think i have the winning formula what whatsoever i just think that like um th there's always a why and you need you always need to ask the, the that question yeah right like never be satisfied with the first or the second layer of any answer yeah or or any truth and I know I'm like speaking broad terms here because I'm I'm, I'm not gonna actually give a yeah a, yeah I a don't a want to do te a technique you know yeah, like yeah. A, um, but but that's that's how I see it I mean just like but it's keeping it front of mind as well isn't it like you said it's it's like within your makeup of what you're trying to do here you 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 are constantly trying to understand and listen to the customer yeah. it's not just something that you put on the wall we're close to the customer or you know something that's just a high level thing is actually it's kind of like that everyday mentality if it's if it's if it's there within what you're trying to do um then you know then it it pans out that way i totally agree and actually it's not it's not always as straightforward i mean for for us for some period of time we were listening more to the market 
and the whole industry trend, then we were listening to that retailer's needs, yeah. that, that shop owner and that actual business. So, so sometimes, like, sometimes there's like a balance of macro and micro that needs to be done mm. in, in that as well. Basil talked just then about being closest to the customer, a very common theme that's running throughout all of these podcast episodes. Now, the benefit of being close to the customer is that it allows you to adapt your services to the needs of the market and pivot. Yes, pivot is a bit of a buzzword, but to have the conviction to shift your business approach in line with the market trends is essential to your longevity and growth. E-commerce and the subsequent logistics to support is one of the fastest changing markets at the moment. We're all aware of how changes in our own customer behavior is leading to the rapid decline in what we would call the traditional high street, for example. So for a company like QuickUp, adapting with speed is more important than ever. To understand the approach Basil took when pivoting his business, let's first hear what the original concept was for QuickUp. When we first started, we built a very simple proposition. You type, it, you type in what you want, where you want it from, you hit go, and you have someone go purchase, pick up, and deliver on your behalf within an hour, on demand, anything. Um, and and, and so, so that was like a very compelling proposition for like a, a part of the London demographic. Yeah. Um, because that level of convenience is, does... I mean, either comes at a really high price or just doesn't exist simply. Um, What we identified along the way was that actually businesses kind of need that service. And so our first kind of iteration of the business was uh, let us make the service more accessible to the end user by having partnerships with the retailers. And actually the retailers are going to benefit because they want to have some sort of an ordering channel that delivers to their customers. So we were able to take a a percentage of the value of the goods that we were bringing to the retailer uh, uh, and use that income to subsidize the the cost of the fee to the end user. Yes. Uh Uh, And that's where kind of like our marketplace proposition was born. Now, what we saw along the way was the launch of Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime now, Amazon Fresh, and and the kind of pressure that put on the high street. And, you know, things like Uber uh, um, changing the way people thought about receiving services. You can track, you you can get things now. It's on demand, you're in control. Amazon Prime now was delivering within two hours. That changed the game. And, And so we realized that actually... Along the way, we had been building an infrastructure that, you know, is a logistics infrastructure because what we were doing, we were running in the last mile. We didn't think about it that way at the time, but we had realized that this is a problem that we're actually implicitly solving by serving our own business. But there's a, there's a much bigger problem that's a structural problem that's happening in the overall retail and e-commerce landscape. And the fact that, you know, Everybody's losing out to Amazon because they don't have the same fulfillment capabilities. They cannot promise you such a such a tight kind of a deadline in receiving your goods yeah. and giving you that beautiful user experience. So we thought, you know, we have this network and infrastructure and technology. Why don't we empower uh, businesses to be able to deliver? Um, and and that was that was kind of like the thinking there. And and so we 
eventually came across a couple of opportunities uh, at the time tesco came to us and they were interested in developing a ship from store kind of proposition uh-huh. uh, a two-hour delivery uh proposition from the tesco stores in london and, and they just in, yeah, yeah, so yeah they came to you today so you had that realization that you want to kind of pivot slightly into that area how did you then pursue that did that was that a good timing as well that it was definitely good timing yeah you know, I'd, I'd say that summer of 2016 we got approached by a lot of businesses because that was kind of the time when amazon fresh launched and yeah. amazon prime was at its like heyday of growth in the uk um so so uh, you know we, we got approached a lot but you know with in the tesco situation in particular we had tried to approach them to bring them onto the quick up app and then they came back and said, you know what, like, why don't you serve our own app and, and give us access like to your infrastructure? Label. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of where the thinking was born towards, actually, you know what, traditional logistics companies are not geared towards this kind of decentralized real-time operation that can deliver within the same day in the way that we do at the, at the, at the price point that we do. We're completely asset light. We don't have any warehouses or vehicles that we operate and and um and therefore we can we're much more flexible in adapting to to kind of the demands of these retailers and enabling them to provide this this amazing customer experience yeah. exactly so so that's when this whole kind of uh, uh pivot took place it was uh, towards the end of 2016 beginning of 2017 when we raised our series b funding round that we actually um, legitimately said that we're going to begin to shift the business towards this direction. Right. We, so that Series B, which is, is 20 million, wasn't it? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, that th- that was in line with that new shift, this new direction. Exactly, yeah. okay. exactly. So we had investors that came in and that understood that there's an opportunity here and that we can actually do it. And we had early signs of traction, but it wasn't like fully committed to this kind of like direction yet. Yeah. Um, but that was a completely new approach, wasn't it? it? Well, it's not completely new, but that your whole, you know, you've gone from a very B2C proposition in, in terms of your marketing, in terms of everything you're looking to do, to very much, now you now it's about scaling up the retailers you've got, isn't it? And, and widening this distribution channel. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So we're, you know, we see ourselves as a technology company first, um, but we are now really in the logistics space. Yeah. And was there a complete change of approach? You're so talking about growth and your approach to the growth then. Was that kind of like a, a pivotal, we talk about pivot, was that kind of a pivotal point in your, your, your level of thinking, I guess, in terms of the size of the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, at that point, we started looking at the bigger picture in a completely different kind of way. We're beginning to think about um, cities and how cities operate and mobility within cities and the role of of traditional logistics companies in and you know in you know, everything that you see around you i mean logistics is like the invisible hand of actually making the world that we live in today yeah. operating you know, everything that you see around you has had some logistics play yeah. a part and to be here you know and, yeah. and 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 then we went down that kind of like rabbit hole of understanding this whole world and uh, place uh, finding the opportunity and placing ourselves within it yeah yeah so what are the kind of challenges then that come on the back of a, a new approach a new a new direction the big raise that you've got the brand new kind of size of the prize almost what um what are some of the unknowns or challenges that you faced with you know with going in this direction 
I think that like um, identifying a winning go-to-market strategy, you know, you're you're pivoting you're pivoting your business entirely. You're talking to a completely different kind of audience, mm. and there there had to be like a shift in mindset, both in terms of how we think about um, selling the business, how we think about building the products, how we think of structuring the team internally. Uh, and just how we think, you yeah, know. So, 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 absolutely. so that was like a major challenge for us. And 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 you know, we, we've we, we've got a we, we've got an amazing team uh, that has kind of like helped this move happen. And we could have we couldn't have done anything without having brought so many good people on to quick up throughout the journey. Um, but it really was a challenge, and and you know, we all had to play a part in in making this shift and and i wouldn't you know we've only kind of recently began to seriously think about this this new kind of direction in a in a very deep and structured way it took us it took us some time to to adjust in this uh, switch yeah yeah but I, and so i've heard you say previously that one of your biggest challenges is uh people is is, is recruiting the best people yes so just expand on that for me um like, I, I wouldn't be saying something new and saying that the, the, the company and its success is its people, right? I mean, the result of a business is the result of everyone that is doing playing the, a part in that business, um, and and you know, like for for us, it's it has been it has been a challenge to kind of like understand how to recruit for the for the position in the right way and uh, and to retain people and to get them motivated and to basically make sure that actually they are giving the best that they can give in the place that where they can give the best that they can give and and this is uh, this is something that like we're only now starting to like really understand and get better at uh, but it took us a while to get there there was a big learning curve for us in kind of starting off off from a, a group of like uh, five people sitting in a room, we were all friends in some way, to then uh, creating a professional outfit of people that like are super motivated and know their stuff and are willing to come into every day to to push the boundary. And that's yeah. what we need. You know, we 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 are a small co- a company that has an ambition to disrupt a huge industry. So it means that like every single person needs to be an innovator, uh, a big picture thinker, and 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 also a passionate hard worker. Yeah, that's a tough equation to solve. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and how how what what does the future look like now? What right now we're talking about the, the challenges that Amazon brings, and that's only getting harder and harder. So so what what is the future of e-commerce and and um, logistics look like first of all? And then how are you positioning yourselves within that see see what amazon is doing is like paving the way to how things are going to be done in the future a lot of a lot of the things that they're experimenting with uh, such as uh, the their lock and kind of deliver yeah. delivering to the back of uh, the car and uh, their drones and um, all of this is kind of signaling to the market that you know more business is going to be done more commerce is going to be done faster. The marketplace is moving towards people's homes. Uh, if the marketplace is moving towards people's homes and their requirements are to get things when exactly when they want them, 
this needs a completely different kind of infrastructure to manage that. The majority of business is going to be done local and you're already seeing a flow of capital going into like micro warehousing uh, uh, mm. that is in the urban space, in the central London even. Yeah. Um, and, and and you need a completely different uh, a network of mobility uh, within that and that's what we're focused on we're trying we're trying and we're on the way towards building uh, the right kind of tech and products that are going to enable us to operate this entirely decentralized uh, uh, delivery infrastructure that is going to enable this uh, the future of commerce to, to, to happen yeah. And and is the plan to expand UK wide globally? What does that look like as well? The the thing about what we do is, uh, as I said, like, and 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 if you look at like what how I describe the future is that commerce is going to move more and more towards local. Our model is hyper local, mm. so we look we look at the entire world and we 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 identify cities in which what we do is relevant, high density population. Um, and high, big, big city, high density, um, high e-commerce penetration uh, and congestion. I mean, that we tend to solve these kinds of problems uh, with the infrastructure that we're building. Yeah. And, and, and as you grow, how, how, is the, um, how, does it, how does the challenge get, I guess, harder and harder, like operationally? You know, we've, we're dealing with more people now. You, you mentioned you, you see yourself as a tech first company advancing on the tech how does that change how does the approach to that change as as you get bigger i i think my I, I, like i'm gonna answer a very like obvious answer is like we 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 try we test we learn we know where we failed and we move really fast and kind of uh, on those uh, learnings yeah and every once in a while we inject a a, a certain level of uh, additional expertise and experience from from the outside, yeah. you know, and that's where we uh, strategically hire people that will br- bring a lot of new things to the table that will allow us to like uh, yeah. do these like massive leaps forward, and then it's back uh-huh. to trial, test, learn. Yep. So you mentioned you, you said the words creative pursuit when you were talking about what 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 drew you to own your own business, and obviously when you were employed, you said the thing that followed you was always conflict. So how how do they? What happens now when the team first of all either have conflict or someone is looking to kind of do those creative pursuits, you know, themselves within there? How are you managing people's roles? Because you yourself you wanted the kind of freedom to be able to expand outside of that. Yeah. Um solid question um we've had examples of people who have started off um as um cycle couriers that are now that have then moved on to building our uh, data science like uh, getting into data science and building our algorithms whenever someone is showing signs of that kind of creative pursuit I will make sure 100% to give them space to do that and to grow as much as possible. I don't, don't I don't place any kind of, um, uh, uh, let's say, barriers onto a certain position being held by a certain number of years of experience or an age mm. or 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 anything at all. You know, if you're onto something, I'll make sure that you can have everything that you need to keep going. Uh, and that's the role that I play yeah. in the business. And in between the people that I work with directly, and we—I mean, I just came out of a meeting now where you know we 
we've been in there for about three hours and there are we have regular weekly kind of catch-ups where we try to be as real as possible with each other um and 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 we 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 do a lot of like activities around that to like make sure that we're bringing out the real out of people but we try to be as real as possible as we to, uh, with each other to the point where we're free to argue as much as like we want to with all the passion so right. that things are settled you know okay yeah no need for politics yeah no need for bullshit let's like we're all we're all in this to create something big so there's no time for any of that shit yeah i love that i love yeah. that <laughs> no <laughs> politics awesome I mean, if, if there's one theme which is kind of running throughout this, I think, is, is change, is your, your ability, first of all, to change and to be willing to change. And I think that's only reflective of the current marketplace, isn't it? Because what you're doing is you're helping people, retailers, change with the current times. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, we're, Okay, we're... I just want to finish off, ask you um, two questions. One is, um, what, is there anything that you wish you would have known when you started out that you now know that you could think of? Man, that's uh, <laughs> no. I mean, it's like a series of experiences that shape the way that you think. So I, I wish I had this brain that I have today back then. I mean, that's that's how I would answer this question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and um, well, and I guess alongside that, is there something that you used to believe that you no longer believe? that's changed throughout that experience <laughs> yeah uh I, in myself in a lot of ways uh, that, that's not to say that i don't believe in myself today but i think i thought i was m much bigger deal <laughs> <laughs> you know I, 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 there was uh, kind humble. of like blind confidence but that is needed yeah mm. like i think that like that blind confidence in in my decision making capability in my ability to uh know what a person's about within like five minutes of a conversation, all these things that I thought I have and, you know, uh, the, that I thought I had, those were so important in starting quick up, you yeah, know, and in yeah. getting into this like entrepreneurial pursuit and like this complete unknown, there's a certain level of naiveness that is almost required, required. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that's like, I see myself in a completely different way today. Yeah. And I guess that's interesting because you said you'd <laughs> rather have your brain then that you have now. I wonder if, yeah. Okay. Okay. You're, you. Yeah. You, you, you call me out here. Um, well, because you're right. You need to go through the. You, a lot of the times, you just need to go through that experience, don't you? And then you change. Yeah. And I, I think if you kind of look back retrospectively, you you wouldn't be able to do it. Like you said, if you didn't have the blind naivety, almost. In, in yeah, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have done what you did. F fair point. And I did contradict myself here, but I stand by. I stand by it. I mean, I. You know, like. I think that if I were to be in another venture now, I would do things differently. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. From the start. Of course. Yeah. And just lastly, how much do you think that um, luck has played its role within the growth of QuickUp in these four years, five years? Like, is it all, all skill or luck or is there a balance? I mean, you definitely need luck. Certain at certain moments you do you do get lucky and I'd say like it's like twenty percent of the equation. I want to expand on this point around speed and change. Basil's approach is to actively listen to what's happening in the industry, test a new approach with speed, and move on from there. 
This approach creates opportunity and paves the way for their continuous expansion. There's so many examples of companies who have not done this. Instead, sticking to their original plan, failing to adapt, and quickly becoming obsolete. Most famously, I could pick out Blockbuster and Kodak, for example. So I want to leave you with this final question. How well are you listening to your market, employees, customers, competitors? Just really, how well are you listening? Because embracing the art of listening will give you the insight needed to make quicker, better decisions. Thanks for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please head over to iTunes, hit subscribe and leave us a review. It would mean loads. And again, this podcast was brought to you by Six and Flow, the growth agency. For more content and information on them, head over to sixandflow.com.